Berto Cologne's been on TV shows like The Good Wife, Nurse Jackie, Madam Secretary, and Two Night Stand. But arguably, his most popular role is the character of Cesar, the boyfriend of one of the inmates at Litchfield Prison on the popular Netflix series Orange is the New Black. He's also a Fordham alum. So you gotta listen to what I say, because otherwise, there'll be behavioral consequences. I'm Robin Shannon, and on today's Fordham Conversations, I'm outside our usual studio to talk with actor Berto Colon. Welcome. Thank you so much, Robin. So, Berto, uh, let's start with your character, Cesar. Mm -hmm. Am I Cesar. saying it right? Cesar. Yeah, I don't have the accent. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> you have the great I'll accent. You. I don't have the accent. Thank you. you. Yes, me. I turn it on and off. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on what role you need, yes. right? <laughs> so, how would you describe your character? Because he's not just a drug-dealing thug. That's, I mean, he's got a heart. And he's a little crazy. So how would you describe it? Yeah, he's a little nuts. You know, the, his situation is that he basically, uh, he's been dealing drugs and he has the misfortune of having not one, but two of his uh, helpers or aides uh, sent to prison in the process of him running and doing his work of running drugs and selling cocaine and heroin and whatever else he's doing. And we got some spoiler alerts we got some going spoiler, on in here too. So, so he's basically forced into taking care of the, you know, he's, he has to clean up the mess that he's made basically. So he has to take care of Aleda's family, mm -hmm. which part of her family is of course Daya's character, Dasha Polanco, who you know, who is her latest daughter. Right. And who so, he had a relationship with. Uh, yes. So he's dating the mother. He was. And then he had, was but he's still mother. taking care of her kids <laughs> yes. and his kids. And then he has a relationship with Daya, who is one of my favorite characters yes, on the show. Because she's, she's very mom. sweet. Yes. She's got a great heart. She ends up pregnant by a police guard. Yes. And now Cesar might be the one to have to take care of the kids. Well, yes. maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. I don't think that Caesar's motivation in doing that is is a very moral one, although although I think really? that it's kind of changing. Mm -hmm. I think that for him is possessions, is owning and, and having this concept of this is mine and don't mess with my stuff. And I mean, he doesn't treat these kids very good. You know, he's not nurturing to them. He's not making sure that they're doing their homework at night. He's not being a real parent. You know, they're really just possessions to him and that they serve a purpose to him, and it makes up who he is, you know? He's got control over these situations, he's got a home, he's got these kids, and they need him. And I think what's happened is that this has turned into an ensemble piece, you know, because everyone is interesting. It's not just right. one person, it's all of them are interesting. And I think that's what makes it interesting, because in the beginning, in season one, you were really heavy on Piper and her life and what it was like for this really naive Absolutely. woman to come in and try to navigate the prison system, you know? Absolutely. And then um, now that we're in season three, or just finished up season three, it seems like you didn't even see very much of her, but you still love the stories of the background stories of all uh, of a few more of the yeah, characters to really it, get to know them and how they ended up in this prison. And they're not all one-dimensional characters, which I appreciate. No, not at all. And that's that's the part, and that's where the credit comes to all these creative people, these actors, these writers, where we've been able to sort of, you know, for example, in my case, there really isn't a lot of details about Cesar per se. There's only the relationship that exists on paper at that time. So I've been given the responsibility of creating somewhat of a backstory in order to justify what's going on on that paper. What is Cesar's background? I, you know, I think that Cesar has a very rough beginning. I think that Cesar has a very rough life. Maybe at some point, I would like to imagine that 
maybe at a very early stage in his life, he was cared for somewhat. So that there's a foundation there of love and there's a foundation of nourishment, even though it might have been very short-lived, you know, and maybe people, circumstances around them weren't very good. And so he is forced into this life, you know, or, or at least he makes up this idea in his mind that, you know, this life that he leads is the life for him. You know, anyone who makes the choice to sell drugs or to live this very dangerous and risky, high rewards type of life, I mean, I don't know how many of them know what they're getting into and how many don't, you know, but you make a very bold choice. Your so motivation is very bold character. I think so, absolutely. He's very bold. He's take chances. He's not thinking about tomorrow. He's a very aggressive, macho individual. And I think that life for him is defined by possessions, the things that he has, his gun, the women around him, the money, you know, who he sells, the spot, the corners that he controls. He's a product of his environment. And I want to um, ask you about one particular scene that stood out to me. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone that I spoke with who I told I was going to interview you said, you got to ask him about this scene. Mm -hmm. The scene where there's one scene where you pull a gun on a kid oh, to God. make him eat his food. The kid doesn't want to eat his food. Eat your french fries. I'm not hungry for vegetables. Hey. Oh, pero listen to you. Don't you talk to him that way. He pays your rent. That's right. So you gotta listen to what I say, because otherwise, there'll be behavioral consequences. Man, when you put them in the microwave, they get disgusting. I'm not eating them. Bro, hey now, hey, whoa. Margarita brought you french fries. You better get hungry real quick. Emiliano, do me a favor, get out of my face. I know it looks strict, right? But secretly, deep down inside, they're just happy that there's actually an adult in charge. What do you think of that scene? To be completely, brutally honest with you, I, I had a little problem with it. I understood it. I understood what this, what the situation was because well, for Caesar, it to us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think for Caesar, again, going back to the concept of what he, he is passing on what he knows. And again, I want to clarify, I don't think the point of that scene, and I don't think that Caesar, or the way that I interpreted the work was, is that he's not necessarily going to shoot him, but he is trying to scare him. And he is, in a weird way, trying to instill in him the idea like, hey, someone's doing something for you, you better respect. Right. It's all about respect. So that might have been the way that Caesar was raised to get, you know, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. You know, people have this sense of respect and that they feel that they need to get respect by owning guns or pulling a knife or threatening someone's life. You know, obviously a total overkill, but I think- Because he was a little kid. <laughs> to, a, to a child. But I think it was also the attitude and it was wonderfully, I mean, it was just an, a, such a wonderful thing where there was this total clash of like a child who's kind of coming into his own and maybe has had enough of the way and the style that Caesar is doing things to him who's probably not even his father. And that also prompted a response, you right. know, a more harsh response, right. you know? And I, he obviously wasn't going to kill him, but he just wanted to really scare him and to make the point solid that, hey, until you get out of this house and until you buy your own food, you eat what I give you. Right. And I think as we all as parents kind of feel that at one point. Right. We don't all pull guns. <laughs> 
But in different ways, you have to state that in I different, have the authority And this is here, why I'm saying that I think that best for you. It, 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 you know, to answer your question directly, yes, did it pose a, yeah, it made me question certain things. But then again, I went into the mode of, you know, the, what I have learned over the years of studying this craft and that there is a reason, there's an absolute reason why he's doing these things. And there's justification for him. In his head, at least. In his head. Mm -hmm. This is the law. You do what you're told until you can take that presence and that law and you can create your own reality into your own hands. And this is how I create mine. There you go. You don't want to listen to me? Here you go. Boom, I got right. a gun. It's like you think you're the man, but I'm really the man you right think now. You think you're but I'm the man right now. <laughs> and until you get to the point where you're the man and you can make these kinds of choices and take these kinds of actions, you're listening to what I have to say. And not only that, you listen to the woman that I got in here who cooked up those french fries right. for you. You have no way to say no to me, period. Right. And the funny thing was, I think, is that this was done in the middle of him explaining to another character about responsibility, about fatherhood, yes. about what it means to be family. Yes. And that, that's the thing, too, is that there was a lot of circumstances, and I was about to get that, is that there was also the circumstance with Bennett being in the room. Right. The person who is basically the father of the baby, to you know, Daya's baby, mm -hmm. and he's a person... Who is the daughter of the Caesar's daughter of, girlfriend. Uh, correct. Or, sort of. Who is sort of like my, you know, my stepdaughter, who I, unfortunately, had a little <laughs> brief relationship with. But, but we're not getting into that right now. <laughs> and in that same sense of protection, taking care of his own, taking care of these girls, he is highly protective of both Daya and Alayda's character. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he's in the room as well. So it's not just the kid not eating the french fry. On nine out of ten times, I think that situation would not have been justified. But the fact that Bennett is there, right. there was also the edge and there was also that conflict because I think at this point, Cesar is trying to sort of, because of the circumstance, okay, he is now, obviously, again, another, cir another circumstance where he's forced into this issue. You know, he didn't create this problem. She, you know, Daya is She got pregnant, pregnant and she's in and jail, and now guy, she's, she's going to have to. And now this is Somebody's got to take care of the Somebody's baby. Somebody's got to do something. I think he's trying to relay the message to him as well. It's like, look, I got this. Mm-hmm. You under know, control. I got this under control. Right. So he's showing off. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of forces, you know, affecting him at that moment. And so I think that, you know, like the rest of us and like all human beings, sometimes, you know, situations get the best of us. And maybe we don't have the control that we should have at certain moments. And I know in my life I'm like that, you know, and, you know, my, my children drive me crazy sometimes. Because <laughs> they're supposed to. Because they're, they're supposed kids. to. And, you know, as, a, as an adult, as an, you know, a person with rational capacity higher than that of a seven-year-old, you're supposed to be able to tell yourself that, you know, hey, you cannot react like this all the time. But you know what? We're flawed. We all make mistakes. And sometimes we run out of patience. Right, right. We're not in the best state of mind right. to make the best decision. at the, And I think that that was a prime example of that. And the writing called for that. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for them for giving me the opportunity because we worked that scene a, 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 a couple different ways. What were the other ways? Well, basically, you know, we rehearsed it a few different ways. I mean, I, we, we had, you know, the pulling up the gun and pointing it was a little rough to begin with. So I think in the, in the process of rehearsal, I had attempted to just sort of place the gun one time. I think another time we just kind of presented the gun down where he's sort of more quiet, mm -hmm. sort of like, you're not going to eat those fries? And he sort of stands there with the gun, sort of trying that different actually, things. That actually, I think, would have been scarier. <laughs> yeah, they're all, they were all scary, but I think they had all this stuff, and I think they made the, the, they, they edited correctly, and I think honestly, they made the right choice. Yeah. 
Is he coming back in the fourth season? I really have no idea. You don't know? No, no. It's unfortunate. Because, spoiler alert, he got, he, he got taken down yeah, by the police. Yeah, he got taken down by really hard there at the end. You know? This was a wonderful, wonderful season uh, for, for Cesar. And those writers gave me an amazing opportunity to, to, to breathe more life into this guy. To really give a little bit of a backstory and a present story to this guy. And I... Because he was definitely not one-dimensional. He had, he, you no, know, you he felt for him, you understood. And I, yeah, and I think from the beginning, it's been someone who's sort of been kind of like an aid to other characters and other storylines. But this time around, I think that, you know, there was more, a lot more depth and a lot more involvement and a lot more, more content for the audience to see. You know, I don't know where it goes from here, and I'm saying that with all honesty in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, I really don't. I'm hoping that there's a lot more... A lot more for to, Cesar to do. A lot to more do. for Cesar to do in season four. The animals, the animals, trap, trap, trap till the cages fall. The cages fall. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon. Today I'm talking with Berto Cologne from the popular Netflix series Orange is the New Black. So, Berto, let me ask you, what do you think Orange is the New Black says about the Latino community that other mainstream shows don't or lack? First of all, there's a lot of us employed. There's a lot of women. There's a lot of women of color employed. There's a lot of women of different sexual orientation employed. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of that. So what does this show do? It gave us all a job. (laughs) First and foremost, it gave a lot of people that are missed represented in a work in a workforce as a whole an opportunity to work that's first mm-hmm. secondly they're representing all those different demographics that don't get represented but i think what's the integral part of all this is that at the end of the day is it's, it's telling the truth this is going to be an an overall theme in everything that i say about this work and everything that i say about what i do because it is based on that it is based on telling the truth Speaking of that, I was reading a critic who said, oh, well, you know, a lot of the characters on Orange and the New Black, uh, they're stereotypical. Mm -hmm. How do you respond to that? Well, honestly, I think that people that are going to focus on the fact that these characters are stereotypical need to find another subject to write about. Because what I say to that is, so what, man? Mm -hmm. So what? We're telling a story here that is based mostly on the things that really happened to somebody. And guess what? The unfortunate situation is, is that the women that go to jail, a lot of them are gay. A lot of them are black. A lot of them are Spanish. A lot of them are white too. There's a lot of realities that this show exposes that are real. So who do they want people to portray? Who, what kind of people, what kind of actors do they want these people to portray these roles? I don't understand this fixation that people have on stereotypical or, or non-stereotypical. We are there to do a job, plain and simple. And at the end of the day, you know, you and I know what the realities of life. There's just poor people in all races. There's all kinds of races locked up in jail. And I have to say that, that every character on Orange of the New Black seems to sort of serve a purpose. And what I mean by that is every character, I feel, was written mm-hmm. to sort of challenge the audience or mm-hmm. make them confront something that they may have never thought about. Um, like Laverne Cox, transgender character. Absolutely. You know, if you're not familiar with, with the transgender issues, she brings that out. So what do you think your character is supposed to do for the audience? What challenges is Caesar supposed to make the viewer confront? 
Well, for an actor, it's very tricky to, to do that because I think in the preparation process, it's really not, you don't work to try and entertain, you don't work for creating a specific result. You work from what the truth and what the relationships and what the situation is. How does that work? If you work for results, you're going to deny a process. Process meaning truth. If I'm sitting here with you trying to really give you an amazing interview mm. versus being myself and answering your questions in a truthful way, people will absolutely notice when somebody is just trying to give the right answers versus mm. me sitting here listening to your question and then answering your question. There's a genuineness to that. There's a truth in that. There's an honesty in that. It's not a reaction, because I could repeat the reaction over and over a million times. That wouldn't be genuine. Mm. It's about genuinely listening and allowing that moment to affect you so that it can create the next moment. And it's a chain reaction, one after another. So, Berto, when did you say, you know what, I'm, gonna be, I'm really going to go after it? Because people can say that, I'd like to be an actor, uh, maybe one day eventually. When did you say, you know what, this is what I want? So I spent a few years after Fordham working. You know, I had a short stint in New York Life. I tried to work with a, two different venture capitalist companies that had a very, very bright future at the time. You know, it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. But I had some promising opportunities. You know, when you come out of the school, you could get a job. Right. I mean, it is Fordham. But you know what? Unfortunately, those things did not work out. And I know that that happens to a lot of people. And you know what? It's normal. Right. And so I was coming up short on some of these things that I did not have any passion or any real desire to do. Mm -hmm. And I was failing. So at the very least, why not try something that you really want to do? Right. And if you come up short, you just keep trying it. Right. So, Berto, what do you consider your first big break? You know, I really started with some soap operas here in New York, which is, I don't want to say entry level, but it's, I think it's a process that a lot of actors go through, especially if you're here in New York, or at the time, because I don't think that there are. Because you were on, on All My Children? All My Children, mm -hmm. Guiding Light. Um, you had so many. So like, I think I did like three or four of them, thankfully. Now, you also, uh, Berto, you were on a VH1 reality show called Viva Hollywood, where you won. <laughs> You won. You had to go back there. <laughs> I had to take it back there. Oh, I'll take it back there. Was that really you? That was an introduction. Okay, let me just give you the premise. Me along with 11 other people. Up and comers? Up and comers, to put it politically correct. Uh -huh. <laughs> to put it a lot nicer. <laughs> That's no, not a bunch of no names. Use. I'll just say it. A bunch of no names. Okay. The idea that we were sold is that we were going to earn a role in a real telenovela. Right. Spanish so soap in a Spanish soap opera, in a situation where this, this, this role could actually help you cross over because the whole concept of the show was to introduce telenovelas to the American audience. Right. All right. There was a show that was going to air in VH1. And if you recall correctly, my God, am I showing my age here? <laughs> You're going back to a time that was Rock of Love. Right. And With a know, flavor, flavor, uh, flavor of love. love. Uh -huh. See, this was a period of time where reality was really starting to, we really didn't know reality the way we know it now. Right. And so the concept to me was scary because I understood. I mean, I, I'm not a fool. I know what's going on. I know what's happening here. I know, you know, plus they told me you're going to be about, about away from, you, from home for a month. There's going to be any, you're not going to have any contact. And the consequences that I had at the moment was that I had this real audition on Monday. But on Friday, I had to make a decision. And one of the caveats of all this is that they would let me have the LA session for the casting of that movie. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they, they quietly took me off the set, 
drove me downtown and I went to the audition and I came quietly right back into the set. No one knew of it. Right. That was the only reason why I agreed to do it. Mm -hmm. That and the fact that I had an opportunity to compete, opportunity to get some exposure. I knew that the premise of the show would be that we would be doing exercises, scenes, if you will. We would be right. working on scenes so as the challenges. So people would get talent. And that then we would be eliminated accordingly. And I was like, oh, I'm game. I'm now, can I ask, were you married at the time? Or, no. But you I, were with your current You know, I, I was with her. We were living together. And ironically enough, ironically enough, <laughs> my wife found out that she was pregnant while I was away. Really? So... Life through so many curb, I remember it was a very emotional time, I, you know, and of course she, my God, God bless her, held on to that news for almost four weeks without being oh able to tell gosh. me, you know? Right, because you, you, so, were, you weren't allowed any contact no, while you no were on No contact at all, and then suddenly now it's becoming where I'm really, I'm, I'm surviving because it's a survival game out there, you know, I'm surviving. Right. I'm and... You know, it got to those final weeks, those final days, then the victory, and then they surprised me with my mother, and then I finally get on the phone, and I tell you, I, I honestly was sort of melting. I was like feeling, I was literally, I didn't even know emotionally where to go. I don't know yeah. what, there was so many things going on. I just felt like this was the start of something great. This was the start of a beginning. Berto, did it help you in your career? It did. It introduced me to a bunch of great people. It also, I really honed in on this concept of a production, of what it's like to be on a set, what it's like to work with lights, with cameras, repeating your actions again. Mm. You have to stay sharp. Distract yourself, go to crafty, go do whatever you do. What do you go do lunch. to stay sharp? You know, I have my, my traditional PB&J sandwich and my glass of milk. I do this, I swear to God, I do this on every set. I go and I get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and it, it sort of gives me the feeling of home. Mm -hmm. it, it calms your anxiety. Yeah. You know, and maybe seven or eight or <laughs> 10 espresso shots during the course of the time of waiting, which is not healthy. I'm not recommending it, but I drink a lot of water. I have my PBJ, I have my glass of milk, and I'll just have a bunch of shots of espresso. <laughs> Berto, is there a moment at Fordham University that you think helped shape who you are? I had this public speaking class here. It was like being on stage. Everyone had to sort of bring in something and, and talk about it in front of the class. And I know that I, you know, my language skill wasn't up to par at the time. <laughs> and I had some impediments. I had some issues, you know. It was the first time that I needed to go up there and I was going to go in front of people that knew me who were already making fun of me, right? some of my roommates. But there was never a moment that I doubted that I was going to get up and go up there and give my speech that I had prepared. You never said, oh, how do I get out of this? You were like, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm scared, I'm, but I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm so scared right now. But there's no option to not go up there. Like, it's my turn. I have to go do this. I have to go up there. And I know I must have sounded like crap. And I think I got a couple of compliments afterwards. But I got the compliments because they knew that I was kind of overcoming a lot of obstacles. And you kind of take that with you now? I take that with me all the time. Yeah. Because that's a good thing in acting, to have that fear, to have that edge. What is the advice that you have for somebody who wants to go into acting? Be prepared for a roller coaster ride. This process literally changes month to month, year to year. It requires an extreme amount of patience. It requires an immeasurable amount of confidence in yourself. I'm not saying that it's not possible that you're going to land the role of your life at the beginning. I hope it does. Study the craft, learn to dance, 
Go back and see what old actors were doing in the 30s and 40s. Read Shakespeare. Read modern work. Do you have a favorite author? Paolo Coelho is the author of The Alchemist. And he has this one particular book that I constantly seek and I look at, which is The Warrior of Light. It's been translated into, I don't know how many languages. I love to still read it in Spanish. It's a group of short little anecdotes about what the warrior of light would do. And it's a source for me to sort of give myself a point of view that I know is down deep in that place, mm -hmm. somewhere here. My father introduced it to me and said, you know, when things get tough, have a moment, sit down, take this book, son, roll your fingers through any one of the pages, and I promise you that no matter which one of those anecdotes about the warrior of light you land on, you'll be able to find some peace and you'll be able to rechannel, refocus, and deal with the problem at hand when it's getting to be too much. And I swear, I swear it works. Yeah. I carry it with me on my back. That book to me is life. This industry is a hustle. My life as a whole is a hustle, you know. I'm juggling a lot of different things. I'm juggling a career. I'm juggling night work because I have to survive. I'm juggling a parenthood, two parenthood. kids. I'm juggling husbandry. a relationship. <laughs> what I admire is the persistence and the, the patience that others, my family, my yeah. wife mainly, my children, my mother and my brothers have had over the course of all this time. Because if you're coming from a place of, I don't know if I'm going to work here again. That's fine and got, dandy. You take your, your kids risk. Still need to but how about everyone else around you right. who, who, who may not necessarily share that point of view with you? Right. You know? Was who, your family supportive? They seem like Oh, they always have been. Yeah. But what I'm trying, my point is that it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost of, for them and their compromises in their lives and, you know, the things that they have to give up and the things that they may not reach because of their supporting you in your endeavors. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the part that's tricky. Give me an example of something your wife or your kids might have had to let go of to, to support your dream. Well, it's something that I'm somewhat embarrassed about, and I don't know if I necessarily want to talk about okay. it a lot, but, you know, I feel terrible about making my wife wait all these years, you know? Wait for what? Just wait for the normal process and, you know, the traditional way of, you know, proposals and, and a wedding, you know? Yeah. You know, I was struggling so much with this career and I was trying so hard to do certain things and I, um, I was negligent, you know, flat out. I was just negligent of her goals and her aspirations and her wishes, you know, and you don't maliciously intend to not pay attention to somebody else's goals. You're just so focused. You got on blinders on. Yeah. I, I, I have to always go back and acknowledge that because... What's your wife's name? Lara. Lara? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have girls or boys? Two girls? Two girls. Two girls? Yeah, I'm paying the price. <laughs> I'm paying for it. Yeah. Do, do they watch any of your shows or do they watch... They're starting to be like my little publicists. They're starting to acknowledge... They, they know what daddy does now. I mean, you know, two, three How years ago, they? they're seven uh -huh. and almost six. Uh -huh. And they, they, they're noticing a lot. They're noticing a lot and they're very proud. I mean, I keep a low profile life. But People recognize you. Yes. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's crazy, you know, and then they're also recognizing me while they're around. Right. Which is happening more and more. We went to the beach the other day and we're sitting there quietly and I'm just sort of like, you know, looking at the beach, watching them and they're going in and out of the water and sure enough, without me noticing, they're making the rounds to all <laughs> the other people that are sitting around my little camp in the sand while I'm eating my sandwich and being distracted. Oh yeah, do you know who my daddy is? By the time I turn around, like all eyes are on me. It's like, hey, do you? And I'm like, wait a second, how did you just find? 
they're going around quietly telling people this stuff. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, so that it's is, it's and it's, they're proud of you. They that's are, you know, and that's why I don't get I don't get upset about right. that. They, they are, you know, and yeah, they, they, I mean, come on, let's be honest. They 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 they, they want the attention too, but but they're proud, you know, and that's the thing that I love most about it. They they they. Cologne and Cologne uh, publicist and company. My God, man. It's like, you don't need any. What better than these two beautiful girls? I mean, who's not going to chew that up? You know what I mean? It's just like, oh my God, really? Who is he? You know, it's, it's great. It's a real, they're, they're amazing. They're just, they, they, their personalities and the way that they are are just, they're phenomenal. I'm, we're so blessed. I yeah. got, God bless them. God keep them. That's, that's all I ask. So, Roberto, what's coming up next? I mean, again, I'm, I'm just starting, you know? I, I, I want to get to a point where I'm not running around and going out to do some night work. I mean, I, I really want to survive in this industry. I really want to get to the point where I'm making a living at it, really. I, I've worked a long time to be in a position where someone's entrusting me with doing this work. And I want the responsibility. In fact, I want more responsibility. I want to carry a show, mm-hmm. you know? I didn't get into this business to be a co-star for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I want to carry the work because I'm confident in my ability to do that. You know, and I just want to, again, thank everyone that has been pulling and helping me along my path. You know, my friends, my family, my mother, my father, my brothers. Um, Your two cute little publicist daughters. My, my publicist daughters <laughs> and, of course, my main source of support, my, my everything, my wife. Thank you very much, Berto Colon. Thank you so much for having me, Robin. I really appreciate this so much. You've been listening to Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. Make sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter and our weekly podcast. Stay with us, George Bodarki and Cityscaper next. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.